DACA in serious jeopardy today on Vince and Jason Save the Nation. Stay tuned. Welcome to another episode of Vince and Jason Save the Nation. If this is your first time, please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. Uh, and you can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are sold, and especially on YouTube, where we are encouraging people to like, subscribe, comment, and share to get the good word out so people can see our pretty faces as we talk about all the issues uh, <laughs> that involve saving the United States of America. I'm Vince Colonnais, alongside my friend Jason Nichols. Jason, what's on your mind this morning? Well, U.S. District uh, Judge Andrew Hannon ruled in favor of nine conservative-led states, including the state of Texas, and they have blocked the Biden administration from accepting new DACA applicants uh, and saying by saying that the program is not legal, Andrew Hannon has a record of ruling against uh, liberal immigration uh, efforts, and he ruled against them again. So many people believe that the program is in jeopardy. It has not been shut down completely yet. Uh, it has not been phased out, but it certainly is in some jeopardy moving forward. And there's been this question about whether the program is legal in and of itself, whether we should have it. So, of course, I want to pose those very same questions to you. Yeah, as it just as like a common sense matter, you know, the president of the United States shouldn't be able to create immigration law from the White House. That has to be something Congress does. And then he has to sign into law. So I think that the state of what we're looking at right now uh, should it be upheld, is that this will only uh, create more pressure on Congress to actually come up with a decision on what it wants to do with people who fit this category of, of what they're referring to as dreamers. And we typically think of dreamers as young, illegal immigrants who came to this country really when they, they lacked any meaningful agency to come here. It was their parents who brought them here. Uh, so that's why we have this category. That's why Obama created this category. President Obama created this category where he said, okay, so we will not deport you. We will keep you in the country. We'll give you some sort of quasi-legal status. And that's what DACA is. As it's always been, though, since its inception, this was just invented by President Obama from the White House. And uh, it does not have the strength in any way of legislation. And for that reason, it makes a lot of sense that a judge would, all these years later, if you, if you can believe it, uh, I think it was 2011 that DACA came into place or 2012. Either way, the point is, it is, I've always thought that it's wild that the president can just create something like this. And it, it seems to me on his face illegal. Now you have a judge saying that. Well, I think that uh, the we know from the last couple of presidents we've had, uh, I would go, at least in my lifetime, from President Bush President uh, Obama and President Trump, I think they've all shown us, and, and to a certain extent, I would even say President Clinton, but certainly since I've been more politically uh, aware, the last three presidents have shown us that the powers of the president are vast uh, and, and powerful. And President Obama was clear, as you, as you kind of articulated, that this was a stopgap. This was not uh, supposed to be a piece of legislation. It was supposed to uh, 
deal with a pressing issue that Congress was failing to deal with. And the whole idea of DACA in and of itself was supposed to pressure Congress into action. Congress never acted. We've had a DREAM Act that has been pushed since 2001. And some of the people who have supported the DREAM Act over time have been guys like John Kyle, uh, Lindsey Graham, John McCain, um, and a few other Republican senators and Congress people. And yet, even with this bipartisan idea of a DREAM Act, it can't seem to get anywhere. Uh, and so I think DACA, because of that, you know, it's like if you have a sinkhole, but you have to have in your neighborhood, but you have to have everyone's signature and some people are out of town or some people refuse to sign because they want to see this person, this other person's house sink first. Uh, you know, the, the leader of the HOA can come say, we're going to do something. We're going to put something down temporary. We're going to fill it with dirt until we can get uh, people to come in and pave the road. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, what DACA was supposed to do. And it was really, it's really been the failure of Congress and failure of our, uh, you know, of our legislative branch to actually make something uh, work that makes sense. And it's, bi it's been bipartisan. This is, we should not necessarily even need DACA, but DACA was a good program. And, you know, inaction is, was, was not an answer. And that's what we've been getting. Yeah. And people stalling, actually making things happen. And I think you and I can certainly agree on that, even though, you know, we're, our perspectives aren't always the same. And the only thing we'll say, and, you know, I, I don't think this is a semantic argument. I think that you and I, uh, well, we probably won't agree on this, but I think it's a substantive argument is the reason I call or one of the reasons why I don't call it illegal immigration or an illegal immigrant and I call it an undocumented authorized immigrant is because, like I said, my sister-in-law has been in this country since three years old, mm -hmm. since she was three mm -hmm. years old. She didn't know how to break a law at three years old. So we're going to label her illegal. First of all, I don't think people can be illegal. Acts are illegal. You know, a person is not illegal. That's to me, that doesn't make sense. But either way, uh, going to label her with something like illegal or criminal and say that she had the wherewithal at three years old to break the law, I think it's, it's kind of ridiculous. So that's why she's an unauthorized immigrant or she is an undocumented immigrant. Uh, and like I told you, I think in this in this, you know, one personal story and personal anecdote is that she didn't know until she was nearly in high school, I believe, when she figured out that she was actually undocumented. You know, um, she has siblings who are American. All her siblings are American citizens. She's the oldest. They're all, all American, uh, American citizens. She's an American, too. If you talk to her, you're not going to be like, oh, you know, it's an immigrant. Like you won't get that vibe. She is an, Amer an American. She just doesn't have the documentation. And so, you know, for me, DACA, I saw what DACA did in her life 
and what DACA did in so many dreamers lives. And these are people that are your neighbors. These are people that you know, and these are people that are your friends mm -hmm. and you may not even know it. And for younger, for your kids and their friends, they might not even know it. Um, and Congress wasn't acting. And this is why President Obama did right. that. And I think it was an important step for our country and for people who are in our country. And I think there's also a misunderstanding about DACA. Um, of course, it's been challenged before the Trump administration challenged it. Trump also refused uh, to take on new recipients. Um, so that's not necessarily new. And the program has not been phased out, as I said earlier. Uh, but it certainly is in jeopardy. And Texas has long been leading the way in anti-immigration uh, actions and suing, uh, you know, against undocumented immigrants. Yeah. And I think that, you know, particularly for someone who's been here, we can debate, you know, undocumented, undocumented immigration for someone who comes at 25. But if you've been here before 2007, which I think is the, the requirement, uh, and you were under the age of 16, and now you're under the age of 30, uh, or at least that was the way it was originally conceived. Um, I think that that is a special set of circumstances, even though it includes 800,000 people. Um, and we have 636,000 DACA recipients who were affected by this, this uh, case. And, right. uh, you know, I, I really think that, you know, before we come down on DACA, we have to understand what it is and, and the people that it helps. And I think that a lot of our audience, if they really understood, you know, who's affected by this, who the dreamers are, um, even if they're very conservative, they might have a different perspective. All right. My response to Jason Nichols in just a moment. Okay, Jason. Uh, now on the issue of, of dreamers of DACA, um, you mentioned Texas and uh, how Texas has led the way in a lot of, uh, a lot of efforts to get control of the immigration system. Uh, I think that makes sense. You know, Texas being a border state, they feel the brunt of an open border and, uh, they're going through it yet again, right now we have an ongoing border crisis and it's not put in these terms, but I, I will put them in these terms. Um, the border crisis we have right now is killing a lot of Americans, a lot. Uh, now you're going to ask me, how is that? Uh, you might ask, but I, and I'll answer. Um, it's the drug crisis that's accompanying the human crisis crossing our border. We're looking at, and you and I've discussed this, upwards of six figures now, potentially dying this year due to the fentanyl that is crossing over from Mexico. Much of it made in Mexico and then cut not only as fentanyl, but cut into uh, cocaine and heroin that's getting across the border as well. So it's exacerbating a real crisis that's killing people in our country in addition to um, the, uh, the human, uh, trafficking and also the, just the sheer mass of humanity crossing our border without any meaningful policy debate, without any, any meaningful referendum in the United States on whether we as American citizens think that that's a good thing. Um, it's just that the status quo has become that the border is open and that is completely porous, uh, and, um, that our leaders are, not confronting it at all and seem to, and I think, be totally fine with the status quo, given their inaction on addressing the flow that's coming across our border. Now, this is, you know, the idea of, of protecting people who came here when they were young as illegal immigrants brought here by their parents, typically. 
um, which is what the category of dreamer was intended to identify. You know, President Trump uh, had put that on the table uh, many times during his presidency. Let's come up with a legislative solution for this in exchange for uh, meaningful border security. If you will give me a secure border, I will give you an answer to the dreamers. We will come up with um, a legalization or a pathway to citizenship or whatever it is uh, that you want to do. But he could never achieve that cross-style support. They didn't want to give him what his campaign promise was, which was build that wall, remember? So just the aversion to that was so reflexive that there was no answer ever given for dreamers, despite the fact that Donald Trump kept offering it. No, no, no solution there. Final that, that's, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. finally, I'll say this. Just the fact that... Uh, Democrats have routinely acknowledged that we do need a legislative answer here is, I think, a conceit that what President Obama did was illegal, meaning he had exceeded his authority as president of the United States, because if he hadn't, there would be no need for a legislative solution. Uh, yet Obama um, in 2012, by basically just dictating from the White House that there are certain categories of illegal immigration that we are going to protect from enforcement. Um, I think Democrats knew that he had exceeded his authority, which is why this entire debate about a legislative solution has always remained in play. And I think that's why you saw a judge honestly render a, a decision on Friday that said, yes, President Obama did exceed his authority as president of the United States. Well, so first of all, there, there's quite a bit there. Um, first of all, the judge has an, an anti-immigrant, is a, uh, a, a Bush uh, appointee um, and, and is a conservative judge. And he has ruled immigrants and is basically basically an a judge. He's been that, you know, uh, several times, at least in at least two other instances has ruled against immigrants. So it, it's not the idea that when you get something in front of Judge Hannon, that he is going to, uh, you know, take this into account and, and think about this broadly uh, without bringing his own personal biases against immigrants into it. At least, you know, that's what many immigrant uh immigration advocates uh, are saying can i ask can i ask for clarification um, just since you raise it is are those in your words are, are these cases involving undocumented immigrants uh and and, and and do we know whether or not the judge's decision had merit um well i'm i'm going off of and again i'm i'm stating what it is that immigration advocates are saying okay and that's that he never in in every time that he's had a case involving undocumented immigration he takes the heart um, um so uh, you know it, it would appear you know one one might have the idea that he has certain biases against uh the way you know against undocumented immigration and, and again, he's a conservative judge, and this is why it's important to win the White House. You know, if you want the kind of judges 
Uh, this is one thing that that you know, 2016 was such an important election because Trump put so many judges up there, um, and that was a big win for you know conservative hardliners and not just the SCOTUS, but you know district judges and judges across the country. And that was you know that was a big win. This is one of the reasons. This is one of the things that makes the the uh, the presidency so powerful. Um, in terms of whether President Obama exceeded his power as president, and I think, as I've said, the power of the presidency is vast. You know, um, the president, you know, if you want to talk about, um, you know, executive orders and what they've done throughout history, you know, they've, uh, of course, in southern states, they ended slavery. They uh, integrated the military. The you know executive orders, and the powers of the president's pen, is very, very much powerful. But again, as I said, President Obama was not looking at this, and this is where I agree with conservatives. President Obama was clearly not saying that this was a permanent solution. They weren't saying that it was illegal. It's not illegal. Again, you know, in the in the scenario that I gave you, that's not illegal. To if you have a pressing emergency, to address it in order to get Congress to actually make a move. And again, the the Dream Act is a bipartisan thing. Lindsey Graham, the most red hat MAGA guy of MAGA people. I mean. This guy's lips are attached to Trump's backside, and yet he supported the DREAM Act. Um, you know, this was before the MAGA era. Who knows where he is now because he's, you know, he goes with political wins. But he, you know, he's somebody who went um, and was one of the, the early co-sponsors of the DREAM Act. Now, as far as what President Trump uh, tried or former President Trump, private citizen Trump today. But former President Trump, um, what he did was essentially take something away and say, hey, let's bargain for it. So if I come and take your microphone and then I say, well, if you want your microphone back, here's what you got to do for me. That's not negotiating in good faith. One of the things you and I try to do here on the show is have discussions in good faith. And I think we accomplished that. Um, but you cannot go and take something away, you know, by, of course, stripping away so many elements of DACA and then saying, hey, you want it back? You give me this border wall, which again, they built, according to, to President Trump, they built a lot of it. And are we, you know, has it slowed down undocumented immigration? No, it hasn't. Yeah, I mean, they didn't. You know, build, um, they didn't really build that much of it, though. That's I what mean, he said. I'm going off. Of no, what I he know said. he's. I know he said you that. Know, but, he but tried my, to sell it like mission accomplished. I got what I wanted for my people because I'm such a tough negotiator. If he yeah. got that, it certainly hasn't slowed down uh, undocumented immigration. If anything, you know, undocumented undocumented immigration is at a 10 year high. So um, I think that there are obviously larger 
uh, issues at the play that have nothing to do with a wall or no wall or a gate or whatever you, we're going to call it, whatever that thing is, we're, you know, that's not what is causing immig uh, undocumented immigration. And it's more in, in most cases, it's not what's stopping it either. Um, right now, we are in a situation where we have issues with undocumented immigration, but the people being who, you know, when you're talking about the border and all that, yeah. the people that we're talking about with DACA are not the same group of people, you know? Uh, they're not, my, like I said, my sister-in-law, when she was three, was not carrying fentanyl. You know what but I mean? Neither, she was carrying a dirty bike. But neither are, the, she was neither are the Central Americans who are crossing, by and large, unless they're somehow being accused of I drug agree. mules. My point is they're being they're being used by the cartels, though. Uh, and so when you have a massive onslaught of humanity crossing at one section of the border, that is a timed event uh, designed to enable the cartels to move drugs nearby uh, at areas that are, are less focused on because the border patrol is consumed with the wave of humanity they just received. Um, this is, you know, the on back to your point about President Trump uh, and, you know, taking away something in order to achieve a deal. Um, I, I think with the judge's ruling, which it seems to me is correct, uh, based on my understanding of it, especially based on the fact that, again, Obama, President Obama couldn't just create a law. Um, uh, I, I think Trump wasn't taking something away. Trump, I mean, it, like it didn't exist. Like in order to create this protection and this, this predated Trump, remember, as you said, it's like this effort to get a legislative solution passed. It, it it just there needed to be a law like so if you want to protect a category of somebody who came into the United States illegally, no matter what their age, no matter what those circumstances, you can do that via a law in Congress. And that's a law that hasn't existed. So you get Trump out there saying, OK, great, we can come. We, you can make that law exist. You can do that. Here's what I need. I need to make sure that we can stop this from being a problem in the future. Uh, and this game was this was played in the 1980s. Ronald Reagan went through it. Uh, they passed both an amnesty and a border security package. And what was the end result of it? That we continue to have and have only accelerated uh, the immigration problem, especially on our southern border. So that wasn't a meaningful solution. So at some point you have to <clears throat> excuse me, at some point you have to get control of our immigration system, wherever that illegal immigration is coming from, whether it's visa overstays or people crossing the border, you have to have a coherent system. And the appetite for actually fixing that system does not seem to be in Washington. It like there, there is very little desire to fix the system. And meanwhile, like Americans really do care about this. I mean, in poll after poll after poll, it's like, okay, come up with a coherent system. You can be the most empathetic liberal in the world you can think that we need to have a, a completely or almost entirely open border and that we should accept anybody who wants to come here. It should be really easy to become an American citizen. That's fine. But there has been how, how, how many bills look like that? How many people are actually proposing something that sounds like that? There's everyone seems to be just ignoring the process that we created, which is the United States Congress to fix these things. And we allow the status quo to fester. You know, I. I think of one other thing, Jason, it's like, you know, I kind of wonder if Obama had made the decision not to create this program, instead just continued to actively ignore 
um, the law when it came to certain categories of illegal immigrants and just not had actually announced a formal program, he probably would have been on firmer footing because that's what we do with things like, you know, marijuana enforcement, right? So the federal government, like basically they, they call it prosecutorial discretion, but they, they basically turn a blind eye to uh, people breaking the law when it comes to marijuana, because again, that remains a federal law. Uh, now you can say that that's a wise decision. I totally accept that argument. But as a matter of just how our country should work, our laws should be reflective of what we do and don't allow. And, and uh, we should have some actual courage in Congress to make it so. But instead, what we have now is a government that just picks based on political wins, um, which laws to enforce and which laws not to. That doesn't I, I don't think that makes sense as a system. So let me so I have a question. I have a statement or a couple of statements. Please. And then I have a question. Please. Uh, so my my first statement is that most Americans support permanent legal status to undocumented immigrants who came across as children. And in 2020, uh, Pew Research Center or poll uh, found that 74% of Americans favor a law that would grant permanent legal status to undocumented immigrants who came to the U.S. as, as children. Why then do so many Republicans in Congress, when a good enough portion of Republicans in our society support giving dreamers legal status. And mind you, dreamers are not guys off the street. They're not your cartel mule. We're talking about, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'm pretty sure that the, well, I, it's not even I'm pretty sure, I know that the requirements for being a dreamer. You must be a current student, a high school graduate, or a GED holder. You have to be an honorably dis or, you know, these are ors. You have to be an honorary, uh, honorary, honorably, I'm sorry, no sleep, honorably discharged veteran mm -hmm. of the U.S. Armed Forces. You must not pose a threat to national security or public safety. So, these, this is why, you know, if you know anyone who's a dreamer, they, you know, I, I've known people who are like, yo, I can't be around marijuana. I can't be around any of that. You know, I'm trying to protect my legal status. You know, these are your upstanding uh, neighbors. And most people want them in America, want them, this is where I think we'll agree, maybe, um, want them to have legal status and a pathway to citizenship. Mm -hmm. Why is it that so many Republicans can't come to the table? Why can't we get 10 Republicans at least? Yeah, I know there are some immigration hardliners and I get that. I'm sure they're all in the comments that I won't read, but I'm sure that, and, and I get, I get that this is a forum for everybody. So, you know, if you feel that way, definitely comment and say your piece. Um, say your piece in peace, hopefully. Uh, but at the same time, there've got to be, you know, throughout our society, we have these conservative people who are saying, right. this makes sense. Why okay. can't we get 10 Republican senators? Is it just about 
not giving a Democratic president a win? Is that what this is about? Is this well, all just probably, politics? That prob- there's probably some of that, and that, that's a bipartisan problem. But let me let oh, me yeah, for sure. Let me answer that. I think I, I know the answer. An honest assessment of this. Um, well, one, there's there are Republicans who support a solution so long as they get something meaningful uh, in return when it comes to border security. Because if you're going to address an existing problem, it'd be good to prevent that pro- from becoming a problem in the future. So a porous border is the reason why young people were brought to this country illegally. Uh, and so as a result, let's close the border and fix it for the people who are here and do it all together. And uh, there has been plenty of examples in our history over the last century, especially where border enforcement was promised in exchange for amnesty. And as I mentioned, 1986 is the best example of this in recent history. Uh, And in the end, the border crisis only accelerated after that amnesty was granted. Um, So stung by that, there are policymakers who look at that and say, well, wait a second, you need more. We need a more robust, meaningful uh, uh, enforcement mechanism for all of this. So here's where I, I kind of think, okay, why, why can't the left then come to the table in this way? So let's, let's grant for a moment that we can come up with a solution and we say, okay, pathway to citizenship for dreamers or, or whatever it is that your preferred policy is. Now, in addition to that, no more sanctuary cities, no more telling local governments they can't alert ICE when they take someone into custody for a violent crime and that person is illegal. No more telling uh, uh, jurisdictions they can't establish the immigration status of somebody who's in their custody and then to call ICE on the basis of that. Um, you know, let's have a, you know, a border wall, a border system, cameras, sensors, whatever it takes to genuinely stop the flow of both people and, and products across our southern border in an illegal um capacity. And let's restore the things that happened during the Trump administration when we were able to begin negotiating with countries that are south of our border, especially safe third country agreements and uh, remain in Mexico type policies and getting those countries to enforce their own borders. Um, those are all reasonable things, I think. Um, I And so I so when you ask like why is it that we can't get a couple of Republicans to come along and be okay with a Dream Act that that grants either citizenship or meaningful legal status um, to people who were brought into the country as children, I think the answer is because they have not gotten any satisfying answers on how we fix the rest of it, and that really matters too, so that we don't have to be you and I or whoever's doing this in 20 years doesn't have to come back and be like, why can't we pass a dream act for everyone who's now here illegally? Um, that's, you know, the, the key is we have to stop it. Right. So I, I think there, there are some things that, that you say that are, that are very much fair. And, and I, um, and I'll acknowledge uh, some of it. Um, I do think, again, I, I'm not so sure that, just, just as Republicans, you know, to, to kind of make a, a, a comparison, just as Republicans said, hey, this isn't infrastructure to us. So we don't think it should be included in an infrastructure bill. You know, people are saying with the DREAM Act, let's focus on dreamers. This is the, the particular group that we're aiming this piece of legislation at. 
And it's not like it's a small group. It's literally somewhere between seven and 800,000 people. Let's just focus on this and then we can debate the other parts of mm -hmm. it. Because there are people who said, you know, childcare and that, you know, Democrats and other people on the left said, well, look, you know, that's human infrastructure that, right. you know, that helps us, et cetera. And, you know, Republicans, and I think that it's a, it's a decent argument. I can't even fully get upset with it. Of course, I wanted all these things, you know, uh, to pass, but they're like, look, we're willing to debate that, but it shouldn't be in this bill. So when you're talking about remain in Mexico, this, that, and the third about stopping undocumented immigration overall, you know, I mean, you want some, you know, a big, you know, comprehensive bill. I think that's good in some ways, but I, I can tell you in terms of dreamers, we have something now. We've had it for 20 years. It's been bipartisan. Let's focus on that. Let's get that passed. Let's get that through. And then we can start to work on these uh, other elements of our immigration system. Right. So, so this that, is that's the response that many would give. And yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've never ever heard anyone say they're against border security. Now, is there debate about what border security looks like? There are people who think a, a gate or a wall is antiquated. It doesn't fix anything. It's not going to stop things like technology. You know what I mean? We're at a time where cars can drive themselves, you know, and all of that. And you want to put up a gate or a wall when we can. And, and you know, there are parts uh, of the terrain that it's not even needed. It, it would be uh, a total waste. You know, so there was a lot of debate about that. Right. Yeah, and, and even, by the way, even Trump didn't call for putting wall up on. He uh, initially did. No, on, let's not uh, fix the history here. Okay, okay. Let me let me. He just wanted say, it to be five thousand, like the entire if, border. If so, there was there. I know there was a time during the Trump administration where he expressed that sort of impassable sections where there's mountains and water. He wasn't calling for wall there. If that was at least his final position on it, um, sure, he was calling for wall on passable areas of the border. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, he definitely after, you know, people were saying this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. He was like, OK, you know, but in the beginning, that was the thing. And of course, you know, people were like, look, they did tunnels. OK, it's going to be, you know, 50 feet high and 30 feet deep. And can I can I explain the rationale? Behind, can I explain the rationale behind the wall? So the 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 wall as a as a an object uh, is is very hard to get rid of. Uh, I mean, you'd have to like allocate funding to tear a wall down um, in a future administration. So it's one of those, it's like a policy that can't just be changed easily. Although Donald Trump experienced that you can't actually get rid of DACA easily either uh, because, you know, remember, so Obama- Well, he, 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 I'm sorry, the, the challenges to DACA that he put up were poor legal challenges. This is why I always say, you know, about the Trump administration, like people think, oh, you just hate Trump. Yeah, I don't like the guy. I'll, I'll admit that. You know what I mean? There were certain things where I was like, you know, like I said, I really don't like this guy, you know? Right. Um, but I, I, it's not even that. It's not even necessarily a personal thing with Donald Trump. A lot of his failures that I oftentimes point out is that he didn't necessarily have the best of the best. Like 
Donald Trump didn't send us our best. <laughs> you know what I mean? He didn't have the best people working for him. And the challenges to DACA that were put out there before, the reason they failed, if you want to see Judge Hannon is fair, which I don't know Judge Hannon, maybe he is fair. I'm just, I was just giving you the argument of many immigration advocates that he is an anti-immigrant judge. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't read his opinions or, you know, all of that. Um, but when we look at, you know, uh, what's going on, they, you know, the challenge that they put out before was a procedural challenge. It wasn't a challenge based on substance. And so most legal experts were like, this is going to fail. You know what I mean? Just like a lot of Donald Trump's lawsuits up until the very end of his administration failed because they were poorly filed and, you know, just not really, he didn't have the best people there uh, mounting these challenges. And I actually think the states, the nine conservative states, including Texas, that were involved in this case did a better job challenging uh, based on the substance rather yeah. than the procedure. There was probably a combination of things. It was gotta. It's gonna be times where you're making a double case in court, and that that's true. That exists. Also, you know, I think I think the American public learned a lot about judges and um, the way that they wield their power during the Trump administration. I mean, how many times did we see some judge in, like, say, Hawaii render a nationwide injunction against something that uh, the Trump administration was looking to pursue? Now, I. You know, we saw I saw that, especially on policies that I cared about or I thought uh, were important and thought, man, that judge seems to have really exceeded whatever sort of notion we, of authority that we would invest in a judge in Hawaii. They can issue a nationwide injunction against something that the White House does. Um, you know, you again, you can debate whether that's right or wrong, but I think we learned a lot about the judiciary <laughs> during the Trump years uh, and. There is no question, going back to what you said before, kind of suggesting that there are biases from judges. That's absolutely true. There are definitely judges who have political biases that animate their decision making from the bench. And we should try as much as possible to purge that from uh, the judiciary. The judiciary should not be guided by by um, political sentiment. It should be guided by whether or not it is the law. And then render a judgment on that basis and then right. allow partisans to battle it out in Congress to create the law from which that judge makes rulings. Absolutely. That's the way our system is supposed to function. But we also have to remember that um, our system also uh, gets our judges from a political process. So, yes. you know, it is political. You know what I mean? Like people say, well, judge, you know, justice is blind. Judges don't have these biases, but they are selected because of the political biases that you can see in their publications and in their decisions. Um, so, of course, judges have legal biases. This is one of the things that if you watch the confirmation of a Supreme Court justice, when it doesn't get into all kinds of crazy stuff that they've done in their lives or may not have done, when you're actually talking, uh, and you know, and I enjoyed actually watching the uh, confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett. I thought that was actually a fun confirmation because we weren't talking necessarily about her character. We were talking about her legal decisions. And that's what she was challenged on. 
uh, much more than, say, some of the other judges that we've seen that have been put up on the bench. And same thing with Neil Gorsuch, uh, where it was like people were talking about his biases, his legal biases, his legal approach. You know, what is originalism? You know, uh, what what are these terms, these these legal guiding principles that inform their decisions? And that's why I, I thought that was fun, even though, you know, of course, we were outmaneuvered. You know, the left, I would say, was outmaneuvered again, you know, by by Republicans. They do it all the time because they use everything at their disposal. They throw the kit, the kitchen sink at the left and the and you know the left doesn't even duck um and so yeah i think that know. was mitch mcconnell's that may be mitch mcconnell's proudest achievement if i yeah, if oh, i had I, to guess i would assume I mean, that that's the it was it was pretty brilliant i mean it was conniving you know and but it was politics and that's that's the way it is in dc he's an old school you know guy and and you have to on some level you know, there are guys like I like I've stated several times. There are guys I don't like, but I respect. You know what I mean? And he didn't go outside of the law. You know, he just was able to stonewall something. And it's really sad when you're able to stonewall progress. And this is one of the reasons why you have DACA. So we can always come full circle is because people like Mitch McConnell have stonewalled something that the American people want. You know, 74% overwhelmingly, if you believe Pew Research Center, 74% of Americans, and I saw a recent poll where the numbers were even higher, uh, for Americans think this makes sense. You know, somebody who comes over at two, couldn't even walk, uh, comes over to this country, is a productive citizen, meaning they got a high school education or GED, or they're in college, or they're in grad school, uh, and they are becoming productive members of our society. They're mm -hmm. as American as anyone else. They may have served in our military. They deserve the opportunity to uh, become a citizen of the United so, States. So you ask Americans believe in you that. Ask, so therefore, go ahead. Sorry, you had a question earlier, and, and I apologize for interrupting you, but I just wanted to answer it because no, I just no, recalled it. And it was about, um, it was about, hey, what about the like the uh, infrastructure deal? So like it, it, you compared um, uh, basically coming up with some big immigration package to coming up with a big infrastructure package that would include what Democrats refer to as human infrastructure, which is essentially social spending that they wanted to lump in with traditional definitions of infrastructure, roads, bridges, and broadband and uh, trains, things like that. Um, the... I, this all comes down to leverage. Every it all comes down to leverage. So Democrats recognize that Republicans do want traditional and even somewhat of an expansive definition of infrastructure passed. Right. So roads, bridges, trains, uh, and tunnels, and broadband. Broadband included in that. That this century we've come to some sort of acknowledgement. Oh yes, that that might make sense as a meaningful structure. Although again, that still remains debate. But Democrats recognize that Republicans, by and large, want to pass a package that includes those. So what they're saying is, OK, look, we'll pass that so long as you give us all these other things that we want. Makes sense. That's what politics is, right? I mean, this is, that's often how something gets achieved. You put something out that's politically popular and then you say, OK, but 
because we're in agenda, I'd like a couple of more items on the wish list passed, and then we'll all sign it and we'll call it a day. Uh, and then both political parties will subsequently go and try and take credit where it is that Americans like. Um, now, Republicans have said, no, I don't want to do that. And they've they've objected and they said, we just want to pass the things we agree on. We can debate the rest. Now, yes, will they debate things? Sure. Is it likely that Republic is it less likely Republicans will get on board with those extra things now that the the fundamental bipartisan agreed upon leverage is no longer a part of the package? Yeah, it's a lot less likely that they're actually going to work with Democrats on those extra things. Totally true. On the immigration side, it's very it's similar, I would say. So what you have is like Republicans don't really have a broad interest in just passing any sort of dream act because they would lose their leverage for all the other things that they want and in particular a secure border now i think the difference here is it still boggles my mind and maybe i should stop being so boggled by it and just start assuming <laughs> intent it boggles my mind that it's hard to get democrats to agree to border security like that that should not be a partisan issue but see vince and, and and I just want to step in here. Sure. Um, I think you're 100 percent right that, you know, politics are about leverage and using your leverage to your advantage and and, and getting things done. Um, I think, you know, when we when we talk about infrastructure, of course, um, I think a lot of the debate was about price tag and Democrats. One thing I will say for Democrats, and, and like I said, I, I agree, I, I identify more as someone on the left than as a Democrat. But one thing I will say for Democrats is, you know, we don't, or they don't, I should say, go against their, at least when I'll, use, I'll give you one example, don't go against their values just because they hate or they want to secure a win or don't want the other side or the other president to secure a win. And the example I'll give you is the First Step Act. You know, Democrats have been the ones arguing for criminal justice reform forever. You know what I mean? Of course, you had the First Step Act is really just an extension of the Fair Sentencing Act that came out under Obama, Obama and it made it retroactive. Um, it was an expansion of that, but Democrats, you know, voted for that 100%, the, the objections, I think it was in the Senate, it was 92 to eight and all of the objections came from Republicans. So Democrats went with a piece of legislation crafted by, um, the president of the United States at the time, his uh, son-in-law, Jared Kushner, is the person who mostly, with, you know, with help from other people, Van Jones was involved, but he's not super popular among Democrats and people right. on the left. A um, couple other people uh, were involved. My, my good friend, shout out to Pastor Scott, you know what I mean? We don't agree on anything, but that's still my brother. Shout out to Pastor Scott. Uh, Daryl you know, Scott. Daryl Scott. Yeah, we should have him on the show, mm -hmm. you know, um, but he, you know, I, I, I hate the guy's political views, but he's a down to earth brother. That's my guy. Um, <laughs> Cory Booker. Yeah, Cory Booker uh, was involved to a certain extent. So, but Democrats 
went with it 100%. Not, we can't give them a win. We can't, we can't negotiate because they were the ones pushing for this legislation forever. But why did those Republicans, but those Republicans didn't object because they didn't want to give Democrats a win. No, Um, because it wasn't going to be Democrats win. It was Trump's win. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is that Democrats went along with it because it went with their agenda. Here you have other things where with the case of the dream act, where many Republicans agree with the idea. And I bet you many of them are actually in Congress, but they're still going to oppose it and withhold their votes because they don't want a Democratic president to get a legislative win. Um, So I think that that's problematic. Also, it'd be pretty weak. I, 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 I really think it'd be very weak to support a a so-called clean dream act um because like you'd be incentivizing the very things that you're looking to stop which is an out of control border so you you would pass an amnesty that's what it is you would you'd grant an amnesty to a category of illegal immigrant in the United States without any meaningful stoppage of it going forward in the future that would be that would be a betrayal of what those voters sent those lawmakers to Congress to do. And it would be to like, hey, get control of our immigration system. If, you, if you're gonna give away leverage on this, if you're gonna fix it just for certain categories of illegal immigrant, at least get some border security out of it. Here's the thing with border security. Again, as I stated earlier, I've never met a Democrat or, an ind- or a left-leaning independent who was against border security. I've just, I've never heard that. I've never heard it in democratic circles. Like I said, I'm not part of the Democratic Cool Kids Club, but I've never heard anyone um, say we're against border security. Well, there's a category of Democrat. There's a category of Democrat who oppose immigration enforcement. They, well, they oppose ICE. There are people who think that ICE um, and most of the thing is it's it's translation. Um, number one, ISIS is, is a relatively new uh, new organization. I think it's two thousand four. I think that it replaced INS. It, it replaced INS when you came up with Homeland Security, all of that. Um, and ICE was, you know, people recognize the purview of ICE. You know what I mean? ICE is supposed to look cyber crime uh child pornography transnational gangs like they they deal with a whole lot but it seems over the last couple of ministries that they've been focused on getting the the selling fruit on the you know on the side of the road and that's what i think frustrates a lot where they're like this isn't working this is not what we wanted uh, you know, ICE to be focused on. ICE was supposed to be part of Homeland Security, keep us safer. We are not uh, under threat from some guy selling fruit. Focus on, you know, the transnational gangs, focus on the cyber criminals, focus on the other things that fall under the, the purview of ICE. But they're um, not, my, my issue is they're not being allowed to do that though. So like you have, especially Democrat run community that, are increasingly forbidding prisons from communicating with Immigration and Customs Enforcement when they take violent criminals into custody. 
They're not allowed to, especially in our area, for instance. There's a, when I say our area, I mean Washington, D.C. Increasingly, the rule that, that these local um, city councils, uh, county councils coming together and saying, nope, it is forbidden for you to communicate with ICE. ICE isn't allowed inside of the building. They're not allowed outside of the property. It's the, sort of these sort of ridiculous standards. And the impact there, Jason, is that what ends up happening is the person who's been arrested for a violent crime is not able to be processed by ICE. That person then goes back into the very type of community we're talking about, where we where you have illegal immigrants living in the community, and they are the most likely to become victims of that violent crime, of that violent criminal. So this is a senseless policy, meaning it doesn't even protect the communities that it's designed to protect. Um, so go ahead. Can, I, can I just add one thing? And, and we're going to wrap up uh, you know, pretty soon. Um, I'll let you have the last word, but okay. I, I just want to say this, this one last thing. Um, so there's a reason why communities don't want uh, undocumented uh, they don't want police to um, be acting in accordance with or, you know, with immigration officials and in some cases start acting like immigration officials. And the reason being because if that happens, of course, we know undocumented criminals the few that there are in comparison to the regular society. Because if you're an undocumented person, the last thing you want to do is commit crimes so that you, you know, you want to fly under the radar. This is why they commit fewer crimes, because they want to fly under the radar. But if you're an undocumented person um, and you commit crimes, it's usually against other undocumented people, you know? Yes. Yes. And part of that is because they're vulnerable and they won't call law enforcement because they're afraid. People who are in charge in those cities, those city councils, et cetera, don't want those people to be afraid to call law enforcement because they think, you know, uh oh, law enforcement is going to see me as an illegal, you know, not any act, but like myself, me as a human being as illegal, and they're going to, you know, turn me over to immigration officials. And therefore there was a case many, many years ago in DC with, um, or in the DC area, I believe it was in Langley Park in, in Maryland, where there was a guy who was out sexually assaulting women, uh, cleaning ladies in, in motels. And most of them were undocumented. And it happened over and over and over again because these women were afraid to call the police. And so people really want to make sure that also if you're a victim of a crime and the only witness to that crime is an undocumented person, we want to make it so that that undocumented person doesn't feel like they have to be in the shadows. That undocumented person will come forward, speak to law enforcement, maybe even be willing to, to testify at trial that Vince Colonies was, was uh, victimized. So that's why people are afraid of this cooperation between um, federal law enforcement and local law enforcement or immigration officials and local law enforcement. So that's where that comes from. 
And I think that's a legitimate concern. Now, and, um, and this is why I think we need meaningful legislative solutions to this that make it so that we don't have to deal with these types of moral um, challenges in the future, right? Uh, the, these moral tests where you have to, where, where you run into these problems. Like we shouldn't have a system that looks like this. We shouldn't have a population that is upwards of 10% of the country. Some estimates suggest they're up to 30%, up to 30 million people could be in this country illegally. That's a huge number, 10% of the country. Like we need to get it under control. Although the conventional estimates are about 11 million, that still puts it uh, at somewhere around three to 4% of the country. It's a gigantic number. And so I, I understand where that sentiment comes from. What I don't understand is why we can't let local law enforcement, when they take a violent criminal into custody, mm-hmm. that they can't establish their immigration status uh, and, sure. and use that as a basis to have a meaningful conversation with an agency that's designed to deport people and prioritize, especially people who are not only in the country illegally, but are uh, causing havoc while they're here. That's that should be an un, I think an uncontroversial um, thing, but unfortunately, it is. That's where so we, that's where we are. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll just say, um, you know, certainly if you have committed a violent crime, I have no uh, sympathy or empathy for you or your immigration status. You know. Um, but DACA, again, we said these are people who are not threats to public safety. That's one of the requirements. Um, so bringing it full circle, uh, we are talking about people who are productive members of our society, who are as American as apple pie, and they deserve an opportunity to have a pathway to citizenship. And most Americans agree with that. And that's what I'm looking for. Um, and we've had a Dream Act since 2001. It's been 20 years, it's been two decades. We need to pass that. Um, And, you know, I I think that there's a lot of, you know, in this discussion that we can agree about. about. I think there are some of the fine details. Like, we both agree about border security. Um, We don't necessarily agree it has to be in the DREAM Act. I think it can be, it's something that needs to be discussed um, in in another uh, immigration bill. And what border security looks like, that's, you know, where I think our disagreement is in terms of whether it's a wall or whether we can do something for a fraction of the cost, but would be more effective, which is, you know, using technology, um, you know, and, and more 21st century solutions to keep our border safe. Um, I totally, I'm not going to sit here and deny that, you know, uh, you, you've brought up, you brought up uh, fentanyl and other things um, that come across our borders sometimes. And I'm not going to deny that that happens at times and that there is or there are uh, cartels that exploit people. Um, I also think, you know, when we're talking about DACA, We're talking about people who are already here, already being productive, already paying taxes, already studying in this country. Um, And I I think that most Americans think that they should have, particularly anyone, I don't understand how you can oppose DACA when, if you support our military, and you're gonna tell an honorably discharged military veteran 
who served our country, some of whom who have literally gone to war for our country. Yeah. You're going to you're going to sit there and tell them uh, that they don't deserve a pathway to citizenship when they fought for all of the rights of citizenship that that we enjoy. Um, I think we need to do something, Vince. Uh, yeah. I think this is something where Democrats and Republicans can come to, together, sit down at a table, say, look, let's iron this out. And if we want to deal with other elements of, of border security, we can sit that there and have that knockdown, drag out fight uh, in good faith. Hopefully that's not how our government works, but, you know, hopefully that's the way we move forward. Um, and you and I will continue to fight the good fight for some sort of bipartisanship or some at least having conversations, having the difficult conversations around yeah. all of these really difficult subjects uh, in, a, you know, in hopes of saving the nation. Amen. So, you know, like, subscribe, dislike, you know, do whatever it is that you feel. <laughs> Don't dislike, you don't do. listen to him, stop. Nah, no. <laughs> hey, listen, it is a free country. I, no, I, I know it is, but, about free but that's expression. But that's terrible for us. If they dislike it, I think it suppresses it in the uh, in the um, the algorithm. So don't dislike oh. it. Even if you do dislike it, resist disliking it. <laughs> Just write it in the comments. Tell, talk about yes. Nichols is this and this and that. You know, that's right. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> it would really hurt my feelings if I actually read it. But for the rest of you who actually like these conversations, thank you so much. We really appreciate you know you. We're going to continue to do this and bring in great guests. This show is only going to get better. Keep watching, like, subscribe on YouTube, Facebook Watch, and anywhere podcasts are found. You will get all of this. You will get a free Vince Colonnese poster. He's looking really tan right now. Yes. You can put it on your wall. You can see and me posterize Jason Nichols three times a week right here <laughs> on Vince and Jason Save the Nation. All right, guys. Peace out.